TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. What is the worst beer you've ever brewed? Ooh, the worst beer I've... Well... <laughs> it had I, bananas in I it. I won't tell you about the worst <laughs> beer I ever brewed, but I will tell you about the worst beer incident that I ever had uh, okay. in a, a homebrewing perspective. So we were, we were trying to barrel age a bunch of beer. Which means I was taking ten gallons of beer that was, and this was where it gets stupid. Um, it was it was in glass containers. They call them carboys. So it's five gallons each. So I've got ten gallons of beer in giant glass bottles in the back of my Dodge Durango uh, that I'm driving at the time, and I'm headed out to, to Germantown from Midtown where I live, and uh, right on Sam or uh, uh, North Parkway, right there in front of the zoo. Um, somebody pulls out in front of me, and they're trying to go to the zoo, and they pound their brakes right in front of me. And I've got them seat belted in. I thought I've taken proper precautions, but I haven't. So I lose five gallons of beer in the back of my truck, like, like instantly. Like I hear the noise. I'm like, Oh God, it happened. And, oh, no. uh, right. And so was it in the bed of the truck or no, was it, it was, it was a Durango. So it was like that fully carpeted upholstered area in the back. Uh, it was bad. So I managed to save five gallons, which I got into the barrel that we were using and that was fine. But that car, um, I worked in, in West Memphis and I, luckily we like, we were out in a field where my production facility was. And so what time of year was this? It was the dead of summer. Oh, oh yeah. It, it had to be. And so I remember I had a group of buddies that had been there on that day. They all saw it happen. And I remember sending to that group text. I remember thinking the flies, my God, <laughs> the flies. So, so, so basically your, your, the Durango just smelled like a keystone for the rest of the year. It was, year. it was so, it was worse because it, uh. it kind of like, like got other weird refermentation and, and organisms that, that consumed things. So it got sour for a while and mm-hmm. then it got just smelled like shit oh for but a while. you could probably start it you could probably start a beer from that uh, you could I yeah mean, it, yeah it yeah. was you could call that durango it was all spoilage yeah, yeah it was yeah. Uh, man that it took it <laughs> if you ever I bet re- you, could if start you, have, a, you could start a sourdough from that, that if you ever release a beer called crosstown durango i am not <laughs> drinking <laughs> yeah it was uh, yeah it was truly it was it was six weeks before i could put the windows up in that car again Welcome to Dr. Heckle, the science communication podcast that's ooh-la-la. It's the way that we rock when we're doing our thing. Ooh-la-la-la. It's the natural law that the refugees bring. Ooh-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Sweet thing. On today's episode, treatment of epidermolysis bullosa with stem cell gene therapy, applying the scientific method of brewing, and making the Pope drink rancid beer. Welcome to Dr. Heckle, the science communication podcast that is staying open despite the government shutdown. With me on the show today with a Bachelor in English and Psychology from Ole Miss University, co-founder of Crosstown Brewing, Clark Ortkees. Hello. And with a Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Theatre from the University of Memphis, comedian and president of the Memphis Comedy Festival, Nathan Hiller. Welcome back to the show. Hola. And of course, with the real PhD, co-host Niraj Trivedi. Right. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so Nathan, the Comedy Festival is coming up once again. Yeah, uh, I, uh, April 4th through 7th. And uh, 
what can you tell us? What, what sneak previous previews can you give us for this year? I can't tell you very much at all yet. Uh, we are still confirming some of our uh, our headliners right now, so uh, that's still under wraps at the moment. Um, well, what general open to the information, uh, open to the public information, can you give us? <laughs> we had over three hundred uh, people submit to the festival, and so we're going through those submissions right now. Uh, we've got to narrow that down to about thirty-five people to. Uh, invite to the festival right now. Um, we are in the process right now of working on that. Uh, so we've, uh, we've, we've got to uh, watch uh, 300 submissions. Uh, and that takes uh, uh, a lot of people to, uh, to sit down and go and through. Go through How bad is the majority of them? So, so actually, uh, mm-hmm. I, I judged uh, one block of 25 this year so far. Yeah. And I, I judged, I think it was two or three years ago, and the quality this year was surprising. It was much better on average, the baseline, right. than it was uh, the first year I judged it. I'm glad that he can say that because uh, I see it every year and it just never <laughs> seems to... It, uh, no. um, when, you, when, you, when you see a bunch of, uh, of submissions, it, it can sometimes feel like, uh, like just nothing uh, looks good. And when you're, when you're just watching a submission after a submission after a submission, sometimes it just gets, that's just judging. We get that with yeah. beer. We, we judge beer and maybe after the fifth, sixth beer that you, you know, you've done this so many times and, and maybe what you've got in front of you is actually great, but you're just exhausted. Yeah. You and, have to, uh, it happens. You have to get up every once in a while and, and, uh, and, and absolutely you have to do it so that you're fair to every person that's submitting. And we, we do a good job of, of making sure that we get up and do that. We get some pizza, we get some, uh, uh, get up, take some breaks. Uh, get some a uh, 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 little bit of exercise in between. I need a palate cleanser. Yeah, <laughs> actually, Clark, I have a, a little piece of great uh, information for oh, yeah. you. Uh, so, um, Liz told me that one of the comedians on the Crosstown Comedy Show who bombed, uh, he ran up a tab of eight beers on the on the like c- comedy wait tab. did he bomb and then run up eight beers or did he run up eight beers and then bomb he bombed this is important he bombed and then run up ran up eight well, beers that's okay he's got eight beers coming to him how bad so, was the bomb uh it was bad it was bad <laughs> uh but <laughs> i ended up watching his submission tape and it was terrible okay so, so he just he's, sucks. He's not. Uh, he came up on my list. Oh man! Oh, so yeah. he was so just there for the beers. So is is not, what was happening. Yeah, he's not getting in. I was going to ask that. So, so with, with a comedy he or boom. she, we don't know. It might be someone else. We are going to anonymize this. Probably I say, I say, comedy. There's a comedy boom going on right now, right? I mean, the shows are everywhere. Is it? It, it definitely feels that way here in Memphis. We okay. uh, and, and I think that uh, a lot of that has to do with. Uh, the visibility of the festival and how the festival has sort of brought people to Memphis. Um, I don't want to say that the, the, the festival is the reason that there's a, but uh, because we've been able to use the festival as a way to bring uh, people and get more uh, eyes on Memphis from outside of, uh, of the city uh, and get people to see that this is a place where you can come to do shows. Uh, I think that that definitely has, uh, has opened up, uh, Memphis is a place for doing shows, and so uh, we definitely see seen a, a boom over the last, like, definitely over the last like five six years because, uh, and I, I think that's uh, can be correlated to the festival. Do you see with that? Do you see an increase in people who who think that they're comedians and, and obviously are not? I mean, we saw it in homebrew, and every guy that you know was homebrew in there, including this one right here, you know, ended up starting a brewery, and and 
the quality fell off at a certain point when everybody really tried it. There was a there was you, a rush for it, and there was a, a loss of quality. I think you always see that uh, there are booms uh, at open mics. Uh, I think that uh, Mark can attest to that. You'll see that you'll see a, a, a an influx of people who will come in at, at, at certain times, and uh, the people that you kind of have to have uh, a lot of. There's a sickness, I think, to doing comedy. Because uh, you you have to learn that you're going to be terrible for a long time, and uh, you're not going to be good. And and uh, I, I think the percentages stay the same mm-hmm. of people that are never going to improve and mm-hmm. are bad, people who are bad and will get better, people who have potential and will get really good. Mm-hmm. The percentages stay, stay the same. So if there's more people doing it, yeah. then there'll be more bad people, but there'll be also more so there are yeah. literally more, good. more bad people. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, the absolutely. Right now, right? Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so yes, uh, in a way, yes, there are yeah, more. Thank you people. for bringing your science to that. <laughs> uh, now, Clark, you you are uh, afflicted with hosting a comedy show that uh, our group run once a month. Uh, so right. that's your that's your connection to comedy. Uh, oh, the Crosstown Brewery uh, breweries now have seemed to be a good place to run comedy shows. You know, we we run one at. Um, Memphis made we run one at your brewery. I think we're about to start running one at Meddlesome. Great. Um, what have you been your experiences? Uh, what of having comedy in your uh, location? And can you tell us a little bit about the journey to creating a brewery in the first place? Sure. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll just talk about the comedy first. Um, the comedy's been fantastic for us. Um, one, just a lot of people it's built over the last couple of months and it gets bigger every month and lots of people is great. Um, for us, uh, it's definitely comedy people that are in the room. They came for the comedy. They're people that we don't always see, um, doing what we do, getting those, those new people in the door. That's huge, man. That's not just a hundred people or whatever it is. It's a hundred unique people that probably haven't been to see us yet. Uh, and it's been awesome. So, uh. So, Sweet. Yeah, keep, keep it up. We're not raising the fee or anything like that. But it's, uh, <laughs> but it's uh, no, it's great. You guys are, are bringing really, I've been impressed, like you're talking about bringing some of these these bigger names to town. And, and you guys have done a great job of, of elevating what you do and, and making sure that it's something that people can't just get. It's not just people coming in off the street. Uh, you guys are putting some effort into it and it shows. I think that's why you draw the way that you do. Well, and, uh, you know, beer makes everybody funnier, so. That's enough smoke blown up my ass. Right. So uh, let's let, let's hear about your brewery. Right. Sure, yeah, I'll tell the story. So so right about maybe 150 yards from where we sit was my backyard. Um, I just recently moved. I'm still in the neighborhood, but um, yeah, I had the dream. Um, I was sitting in my backyard making beer and literally looking up, you could see that the Crosstown Concourse Tower. Um, and that's uh, my, who would become my business partner, my buddy at the time, Will. Uh, we were in the backyard, just like, man, I hate my boss. I hate my job. Um, let's let's do this beer thing and we just kind of laughed about it and then one day i'm not sure which one of us got serious first but all of a sudden it was real um so we we knew that this neighborhood was coming up we knew that this this crosstown concourse was going to happen so we uh we called them just just no plan at all other than we wanted to open a brewery here they were super receptive always uh todd and mclean here um and then all it took was you know the next four years and a whole lot of money and uh <laughs> and we found a way to get it done but, uh, but yeah, it's been great. Um, everything at Concourse is, is similar to what we see from a lot of breweries. Um, you know, the, the focus on arts, education, and healthcare here just fits in what we do. Uh, we do lots of benefit work. We do lots of, uh, you know, hosting. We have such a great space. And, and all these different nonprofits that are in this building spend a lot of time. Uh, I've learned a lot in the last year. We're c- coming up on our one-year uh, anniversary. Um, I've learned a lot about how much we really do um, 
uh, owe a lot to the community. Without those community events, yes, they make money and yes, they do well, but it keeps our ship afloat. Um, and we need that. And literally, we both need each other um, equally. So watching that play out in real life has been pretty great. Do you have plans for your anniversary? Uh, we do. We're throwing a big party. Uh, we will be, it's February 16th. It's a Saturday. We opened on a Friday last year. Valentine's Day. Yep. The so romantic, right? Tell your, <laughs> tell your, tell your wives and girlfriends, right? Um, but we will. So the, the brewers and I and, and Will, we've all, uh, we're on the pilot system. We're brewing some special beers. And uh, so mm. we'll have some very unique stuff that each of us has our own beer perspective. So we'll bring that. Um, I really want to focus on my people. I think probably three quarters of my staff at this point in the tap room has been there since the day we opened. Um, that's another thing you talk about learning how to be interdependent. I've learned how dependent I am on those people and they're awesome. So, uh, we're going to spend the next week's kind of six, six weeks kind of interviewing them and, uh, getting to know them and letting people, uh, get to know the people, the, the real people that make our business go around. Not just, not just us, but, but those guys. That's great. Uh, so to link this into science in some way, okay. actually, I'm going to rely on you here because, uh, we do a lot of science. We have a microscope. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the reason I, I was going to ask is I've been on a number of brewery tours in my life, but every single time I've drunk enough beer to forget everything about the beer making process. Okay. Uh, so I feel like that's the best way to go on a brewery tour. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's new to me. Fresh. It's new to me literally every time. <laughs> you were like the perfect tourist. You're like, come on in, Mr. Forgets about everything. <laughs> so uh, if you could offer a sci- any kind of scientific flair about uh, not necessarily the average beer making process that people will know about, but what is it that you think you do to your beer particularly that, without giving away any trade secrets? What do you think the scientific method? Scientific, you know, it's really, brewing's a funny thing, and it's, and it's not about one thing usually. Like that's, and it's probably the same with any truly great crafts. Like to be a great knife maker, how many different things do you have to know how to do? Um, I, I think if, you, if anything's scientific, it may be the scientific method. Uh, it may be about the way that we evaluate our results. So when we make a new batch of beer or try a new hop, um, we try to only change one variable at a time. Uh, when we're changing things, and that's that temptation the, can be strong. That is that is very good. That is exactly the scientific that, method. That's right. called scientific rigor. Yeah, <laughs> right. So very, yeah, we, very good. Yeah, that's tough. Um, that's I'm usually the culprit trying to change ten variables, but uh, but Will, my <laughs> partner, is just like one variable at a time, and that's um, he's usually right, and it makes better beer. So, well, the uh, the traffic that you and the traffic is probably my favorite of of all of them. Uh, is that your most popular? It is the most popular beer. It's uh, it's about half our sales. That's pretty excellent. So the other way I'm going to link it into science is I went on PubMed, uh, which is where you can find every scientific paper. Okay. Uh, and I put in Crosstown Traffic as the result. 117 things came up. Okay. Including uh, the article, the uh, Crosstown Trafficking, the Retroma Complex Component, VPS29, and Recycling of... Vacu- vacuola sorting receptor. That old chestnut. That old chestnut <laughs> came up. So your beer is tangentially correct- connected to the trafficking of proteins within Arabidopsis, this type of plant. What are the odds? What are the odds of that? That's amazing. <laughs> Let Ohm help you get the word out on your service, product, or endeavor. Email info at theoamnetwork.com. Welcome back to Dr. Heckle. We move on to our news item of the week. Today's article comes from the Daily Mail. The article is titled, Australians care if politicians lie. 
The US does not. Attitudes to truth varies from country to country, study finds. Americans are 10 times less likely to change their opinions on politicians who lie. Uh, Australians are more likely to change opinions if they are knowingly deceived. What do you guys think about that? Well, I feel like that that's changed in the last like 10, 10 maybe 15 years. Because I, I, I absolutely believe that like if, if, if a politician lied about 15 years ago, that, 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 mm-hmm. that was more, they were more likely, we were more likely to, to change our minds. Yeah, about it's, them. Yeah. Yeah. it's polarized to the degree that people mm-hmm. are defending their side. They're not even yeah. listening to what anyone's saying anymore. It's just one side or the other, and it's ugly. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. What do you think, Narash? I was going to stay out of it. You're going to stay out? <laughs> I would have put the year at more three years. <laughs> well, I feel like it, I feel like it's taken about uh, 15 years for it to, like, it, it started about 15 years ago. It's definitely... Uh, sort of like solidified in the last like year and a half. Yeah, I just feel like yeah. if Obama had lied about anything, it'd have been like headline news. Oh, it was it was headline news. If somebody, if, if there was even a, like a like a, a a smidge of like a of of like like the of like, it, this for example, might the, not be uh, the line in the sand. Yeah, it, yeah. Know, it, it's like it became big news, but now it's like. Yeah, um, I'm going to save all the coal plants and yeah. six more are closing this. Oh, year. so you were listening to that NPR? Uh, today I was too. watching uh, CNN this morning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, uh, well, the 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 study in question. Focused, I feel Australians care even less. <laughs> that's I'm kind of. How do we get to the British making fun of the Australians for being stupid? Part of this because that's kind of what it's I want to hear. I feel like this is this, this is always the section in which uh, the. Uh, we find out that there's fake, that, news, that's fake news in some way. So uh, how is it that that Australians don't actually uh, believe uh, their their politicians? Well, I may yeah, I I may disappoint you in this. Okay. Uh, so I I think my, my uh, unscientific view is that uh, Australians and and British are much more like uh, if someone is knowingly deceptive much happier to like bin politicians even in their own party but that's my unscientific opinion so on to the study well they'll uh, also beat someone up on like in parliament like immediately like they'll throw things at them and australia they, no just well like in in the uk uh <laughs> no, I don't think was there was one incident uh, where someone threw a condom full of powder Listen to these Tony defenders Blair. one yeah. time you throw one powder yeah yeah uh, and, and that was from the gallery that the was bad from guy. <laughs> yeah. all i'm saying is is that if you it, you can call someone a twat in parliament and uh like okay. the lower house you would have uh, to you would have to retract yes. it you, you could but you say can it. in fact say it We'd also say twat. <laughs> yeah. so, sorry, I never so understand the, the states. I never understand the Americans. <laughs> so, the stu- <laughs> so the study, the, the study, uh, it sounds dirtier our way. Yeah, it the does. Record. It does. Uh, there were close to four hundred p- uh, participants uh, that were Australian that were shown statements made by Bill Shorten, who was the leader of the Labour Party, the opposition party in Australia, and Malcolm Turnbull, who at the time was the uh, Prime Minister of Australia. Uh, So they were shown speeches, so they were split up into groups uh, who were either shown uh, one politician that was making uh, either correct or, you know, a a mixture of correct and incorrect statements Mm -hmm. or 
a series of mostly incorrect statements. So they were asked to rate the politician at the beginning, rate them at the end. And they found that if once the fact checking had been done, for, for uh, if the participant had watched the video where they had mostly incorrect st- statements, so they felt like they were being deceived a lot. Their opinion of that politician significantly dropped. I call bullshit right now. There's no way they found that many American politicians telling the truth. Impossible. <laughs> so, uh, l- l- actually, let, let me get onto this. So, th- <laughs> so, th- so this was the two, you know, the two big leaders or whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, that was actually all the study was about that's been published in the Royal Society of Open Science. The discussion section refers to a study that the same author, one of the authors with other uh, scientists has carried out with uh, Americans looking at either Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders, but they haven't actually included that information in the study and that data is unpublished. Uh, Okay. So there's a few, there's a few things here. If they were, we don't know how many people were uh, interviewed. If it was still 400, that's actually a relatively low number of people that's yeah. what eight per state yeah that's not uh you you haven't split it up into regions with the australian study a hundred people were how taken big do some of those studies get that i mean how many people are, are you ever really touching in a study like that? well i mean if, if you're looking at like that the total like number, number of americans at what uh 500 million uh is that, that there's like 350 right? I yeah think. 300 at 400 that's not even a sample size that's that's not even a well the well, way that they pull their samples though they there's a little more science to it than, so so yeah so yeah so um there's representative samples but, in the world of statistics but they're splitting it up into at least four groups yeah so because you've got uh left-wing politician mm-hmm. truth and lies left-wing politician lies right-wing yeah. politician truth and lies right-wing politician lies so that's four groups at least you can't uh you can only have a maximum of a hundred really in each group yeah if you were doing the same sample size on the american group for them to say it's 10 times more likely that uh, so what they were saying is it's 10 times more likely for an australian to change their opinion uh of so to to 10 times more likely for an australian to have a negative opinion in the scenario where they're lied to a lot Mm mm-hmm Whereas in the truth and, li- and lie, their opinion didn't really change significantly. What's uh, the structure of the, Ameri- of the Australian party system? Uh, so there is the Liberal Party, which is the right-wing party. Okay. And <laughs> well, that's the classic use of the term. Now, they are on the other side of the world. So yeah. the thing is backwards. Yeah, yeah, toilets, <laughs> toilets, well, cl- flush class- the other classical way liberals are like the real libertarians, like the guys from Auburn that are the liberals by my... Ludwig von Mises Institute and all those guys like oh, there's God. there's a real school of libertarian thought that are they would call themselves liberals yeah. before anybody else had hijacked the term. And uh, the Labour Party, as it is in quite a lot of countries, yes, is the which are actually, standard left yeah. wing. I there's another, but there's at least three. That's kind of my point. Like it's kind of like everybody's just been driving it to the polls at a certain point, and I mean there's there's concern that we're behaving in a way that is everybody's losing their judgment in this rush to be identity politics, whether it's, it's one side or the other. And that's a concern right now in America. Yeah. Uh, you need American just needs to get rid of this two party system. Uh, you need a hundred Ralph Naders. <laughs> <laughs> we need, we need a for sure. An army party. of Agreed. them. It's it all would, with it different parties. Just, a, just an army of seatbelts coming at us. Uh. <laughs> um, 
but the I guess the, so the the point here is you can't uh, necessarily completely accurately judge the two studies because one the state of politics is uh, different yeah uh, two that you don't necessarily know the uh, the popularity of the uh, the popularity of the politicians involved might not necessarily be the same as a starting point uh, you've got Bernie Sanders Donald Trump uh, versus Bill Short and Malcolm Turnbull those, those two other guys might have different approval ratings which might mean that you know you've got a lot further to fall mm-hmm. um, Australia plus has more yeah, options that study though. is right with troubles and the lead singer of uh, Midnight Oil is a politician in uh, that's not true. Yeah, that is true. That is not true. That is true. That is awesome. I saw him at Beale Street and he was being very political and I don't think it went well with the crowd. <laughs> but still, a hundred, a hundred our of beds the, are burning. Yeah. A hundred of the study participants in the Australian study were taken from the same university. So then that gives you a regional bias. Uh, yeah. But... Australia just has a different system. And it now, ha- now let's let's be fair. Australia is like three regions. I mean, <laughs> there, there's three cities Excuse in Australia. Me, on the and, map, it just says Australia. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm saying there's three cities in Australia, and then there's a, a vast expanse of like six towns, <laughs> <laughs> and and about six snakes. There are six states in Australia. There are six <laughs> states. I'm just saying there are three cities. <laughs> About six towns spread out in a vast expanse of just snakes and spiders. Australia is just an entire coastal country. Exactly, it's <laughs> a, it's a coast. It's a coastline, and uh, and and surrounded uh, by uh, encompassed uh, with just snakes, spiders, and like a other horror. forms of right. death. Yes, yeah, <laughs> who have no right to vote. Now, yes, <laughs> uh, so so you may actually notice I'm kind of str- struggling to say what was wrong with the study. And that is, the total reason for that is the American portion of the study wasn't included in the paper and hasn't been published yet. Yeah, but and it's that, the Daily Mail. What do you expect? So it's, <laughs> clickbait from the Daily Mail. <laughs> uh, and also the New Scientist. The New Scientist reported on this, uh, wow. this study. But, I, but that was behind that's a paywall. Anybody that likes attention likes that study. I mean, that's... That was a paywall that I couldn't uh, afford. Uh, so it just sounds like this is just the British looking down their noses at two of their former colonies. That's all I'm saying. Oh, it was a study from the University of Bristol, though. So smug. Where's Bristol? In the in, in England. It's in Tennessee, man. Okay. <laughs> uh, there are many Bristols. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's completely possible that the results of this study might be correct. And if you repeated the study, it might hold true, no matter which politicians from different parties that you used. I just don't think it passes the power analysis. But until until we see the data, we can't make that conclusion and you can't publish or you, you shouldn't publish that in the news. And therefore, this study about fake news has to be viewed as fake news. Fake news. Fake news. You're a master. A true master. Have an idea for a podcast? Email info at theoamnetwork.com today and pitch your podcast. Welcome back for our final section where we take a journal article, explain it to our guests, have them digest that lovely information and explain it back to myself in the Raj. Today's article comes from the journal Nature from the Center of Regenerative Medicine at the University of Modena. 
and the Department of Plastic Surgery at Bochum University in Germany. The first author is Tobias Hirsch, and the anchor author is Michelle De Luca. And the article is titled "Regeneration of the Entire Human Epidermis Using Transgenic, Transgenic Stem Cells." So, from the title alone, what can you do, gen- What can you two gentlemen take in? Okay, so it's the regeneration of the entire epidermis, like just the skin, the outer skin. Yes, the outer skin. So, are we? We're growing a skin suit. Is what I believe is happening. But it's re- regeneration. So it's just the oh, it's the it's regrowing, the a regrowing a skin suit. The skin, the the outer skin, uh, from transgenic. Yes. Okay. Stem cells. Stem cells. So tra- I, the transgenic is where I'm going to get uh, get hung up because I don't know the the careful, careful. Well, I mean, it's it, just the uh, the the transfer of genes okay. that weren't there before. Oh, okay. To the um, oh, so you're regrowing the out the entire outer skin from from are we to assume the from hum- stem the cells from, from from someone else's skin cells or stem so, cells. Uh, or so, from someone, or from another set of stem cells. So you you're very close in your uh, in in what you're uh, talking about there. Or so combined people. You're saying the growth of a skin Porky suit people. from skin stem cells. Mm-hmm. So uh, to give you a bit of background on the disease in question that we're uh, that this study is related to, uh, junctional epidermolysis bullosa is a very severe, often lethal genetic disease, and it's caused by mutations in a specific basement membrane component, this protein called laminin-332. So if you're a patient that that survives any period of time, uh, you develop these chronic lesions and wounds to the skin. You almost look like a burn victim. Um, And it really impairs the quality of life and it can lead to skin cancer. So uh, you either have, uh, so laminin-332 is a heterotrimeric protein. So it's made up of three other proteins. I was going to say three, protein. Produced by these three genes, LAMA3, uh, LAMA3, LAMB3, uh, or LAMC2. And Those are my favorites. I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of the C2. It can so also I, be from... I like his original album. Right, but the sophomore, the gals, yeah, before it was cool, yeah. Well, you know, after the the the, the third album just wasn't as good, and uh, the producers, uh, you know, were really trying to push too hard for right. for outside. Uh, Phil Sp- Phil Spector too. Well, just, the wall of sound, you know, right? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, those deleterious mutations are usually lethal in early life, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there is no cure. Uh, there are treatments. But there are no, you know, the, the typical treatment is bandaging. So you're having to, you're basically being bandaged up. So the typical treatment is to put a Band-Aid on it. No, it's, this is full body bandage. I understand. Yeah, yeah. But it's a really big Band-Aid? Yeah, like yeah. Really big Band-Aid. Right. Like a mummy. Literally, literally, <laughs> they can't do anything but put and it a has Band-Aid to, on and it. And it has to be replaced every day. The, yeah. Know, these like, um, and we're calling that treatment? Well, I mean, I mean... It's just what you do. But this is like full body bandaging. Like like you look like a mummy. Like you look like the invisible man. Effective, you have a really big tube of Neosporin mm-hmm. ready for that. And the cost of that is $100,000 per patient per year. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. And that's, you know, that's one of the main things that is done How for these patients. How common is it? Uh, the, all of the 
epidermolysis bullosas uh, account for it's one in twenty thousand live births. That's a lot. Uh, but this particular type, so then so, there's some degrees of severity. Some people probably have a okay. so so this particular one junctional uh, with these protein, uh, you know, oh, and the C2 with specifically where the C2 goes. That makes yeah, up about one yeah. percent of those. So you could say one Got in two hundred thousand live births. Where it's that's where it's catastrophic, and that's it's, that's this particular catastrophic variant. Uh, the majority so you can of, do the math. So the majority of them are this. Um, uh, that'd be like a thousand kids nationwide would be afflicted with that, something like that. That's a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and um, so the majority of of people that have it uh, have the simplex version, which you know you have uh, lesions and wounds, but it's it's much milder. It typically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, basically, this is an autosomal recessive uh, dis- disorder for the junctional version. Uh, both parents will be healthy carriers. There's no test for it um, because it can be caused by a deletion anywhere in these, in these genes. Um, so, the carriers are non-symptomatic. They won't develop the illness. And uh, if you have two carrier parents that have a child, there's a one in four chance that your child will have they're like Nickelback fans. <laughs> right. Exactly. They are, in fact, exactly like No Nickelback one knows fans. where they come from, but they exist. That's well, how scientists write in right. papers. Yeah. Some would argue an equally bad affliction. It's only, right. well, Nickelback fans come from uh, two parents that were Captain Tennille fans, but didn't tell anyone that they were. And a little Closet. bit of stripper glitter from Closeted. the club. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's uh, another old they, they were their, their their parents were Captain and Tennille fans who were who were and they were conceived on a Thursday. It has been three years since I started pretending I knew what Captain and Tennille was. <laughs> really? Yeah. You don't know what Captain and the, Tennille is? And the streak goes on. Rest in the captain. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Died two days ago. Yeah, two days ago. Yeah, I thought that's what we were. Yeah, <laughs> thought we were tipping our hat to the captain, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll I'll tip my hat in principle to Long the captain. <laughs> You don't Tenille want to know. Oh, she's fine. She's still alive. Yeah, the Tenille. Tenille's still fine. Tenille's still fine. Tenille was fine. She didn't worry about shit. She was fine. <laughs> oh, God. What does Tenille look like now? Mm. <laughs> Pre- so, uh, previ- You're asking a scientist, man. Right. No. <laughs> Previous studies have shown that uh, transplanting epidermal cultures with the correct, correct gene can generate a fun- functional epidermis after transplantation leading to correction of skin lesions for up to 12 years post-transplant, but that's only for a tiny area. You know, you... Uh, in these, principle, are, these are skin grafts? Yeah, in principle, okay. they did skin grafts on, on an area where there was, you know, uh, lesions, mm-hmm. and they, 12 years post-transplant, uh, have, you know, cured that area, but that did not lead to any improvement in quality of life. Are these autographs, or are these, like, regular... Are these, are they, are these from the patient themselves, or are these from other, uh, like, like, from donors? So, uh, for that particular uh, one, the 12 years post-transplant mm-hmm. that, they, uh, that they were referencing, I'm mm-hmm. not sure. Yeah. But uh, for this one, this is all the patient's own cells. Oh, okay. For the one I'm about to uh, talk about. So, the, the patient from 12 years ago uh, had no substantial improvement in quality of life because only a small area of the skin that, had been healed. That's not to say that the procedure wasn't effective, just the procedure- quality of life wasn't impacted to a Correct. quantifiable degree. Okay. Correct. So... Uh, In June 2015, a seven-year-old child was admitted to the burn unit of the Children's Hospital at uh, Bochum University in Germany. So they found that he had 
basically had a splice acceptor site mutation in a certain region of the LAMB3 gene. Uh, it wasn't C2. So Not this time. No. Uh, so this, uh, this child since birth had developed blisters all over his body. Uh, he was very susceptible mm-hmm. infec- infection. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, after after us. his admission to uh, the hospital, he lost 60% of his epidermis and all of the therapeutic <laughs> treatments that they were trying, not just the bandaging, but obviously other, other like uh, topical methods or, or whatever drug treatments were failing. And they received uh, agreement for compassionate authorization of an experimental gene and cell therapy. So they took one of the regions that wasn't blistering on his body, they took a four centimeter skin biopsy and used that to make uh, these cultures of keratinocytes. So these cultures of cells from this uh, patient's body, they then used a retrovirus uh, that contained the correct LAMB3 gene. Okay. Can we define retrovirus? Virus. So uh, HIV is lentivirus which is a type of retrovirus so a retrovirus is uh an rna virus so you have dna i'm trying to think of a good way to mm-hmm. it's uh it's a virus that puts in a piece of rna which is usually a product of dna like we go the other way but this one what it does is it puts in so RNA. when you say retrovirus we were saying it operates backwards but it right so it makes a dna strand within the cell and then it makes the protein so that, that it needs so the, to infect it so it, the key point about it is it's an integrating virus it's a virus that goes into the cell and integrates into the genome somewhere. gotcha and then it can right yeah so um, the infected cells will keep producing it gotcha so uh, they transduced the uh, cells with this uh, retrovirus and uh, they grew up enough of these cells to cover the whole patient's body. These basically these on these giant sheets. With carrots. With keratin. Yes. Carrots. Yes. Uh, and so all limbs... Uh, his flanks and his back received grafts in November and December of 2015. And so they came from a combination, so they'd grown up these on a combination of uh, the standard plastic uh, manner in which this is done. So a a plastic base or a plastic base that had this fibrin substrates. And the fibrin basically allowed them to cultivate this to a level that would be enough to cover the whole body. So they, they grew, they essentially grew skin on a, uh, like a, on a sheet. On a, yeah. Like a, like a, a structure. Yeah. Yeah. Matrix. So yeah. the typical way it would have been done before. I called skin suit pretty early. You did. Yeah, you, you did. did. Uh, so, so they, on the first arm, they delivered it from the plastic sub, the plastic base, uh, where they got these, you know, uh, these skin grafts, and put that on uh, one of the arms. And then on the second arm, they did that, and then also a combination where they also had the fibrin, because it had ne- the fibrin base, because it had never been tested before. Okay. It was a walking experiment. So they found that uh, after 10 days, all of the graphs had shown uh, that they'd been taken up. And after uh, one month, there was virtually complete regeneration and no signs of rejection. So... 
after they'd done well after they'd done the arms they then used because there was no difference there doesn't seem to be any signs of rejection it was also integrating in the way that and it was his own skin essentially yeah and it, it was from his his, his own cells mm-hmm. they then used the fibrin culture grafts for the rest of the body because they were then confident that it was going to work how do they make the fibrin does it say anything about that is it is it like 3d printed seen or? westworld i have seen westworld there you go okay so they use samurai <laughs> So, ba- so, uh, so basically, as a documentary, <laughs> fibrin is this like insoluble protein that forms like a fibrous mesh, and it okay. it it, it uh, basically provided a better uh, a better uh, environment for the keratinocytes to grow. Okay, the, uh, can they shape it in a specific shape, or is it just a sheet? Because I'm, so, so, I'm getting what I'm getting at is, can we make it a flute? I'm <laughs> wanting to know if we can make a skin, skin flute. flute. Oh. God damn it. You I did it. I was so close to being enthusiastic about your, <laughs> what you had to say. And I brought us around to penises. Well, yeah. Why else would we be making If you want to if you want to focus Can we on repair the penises. Skin, if you want to focus on skin no, flutes, I'm, that's totally specifically fine. I want to make a flute with keys and a, like just to have like a mouthpiece. one great visual gag yeah. in your life. Yeah. And then you you would blow, blow on it, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, I'd let someone else. Okay. Yeah. I can't. I've never would been able then? to make. I'd never really been able to make a sound on a flute. So, <laughs> the, did you try? I'm a brass one? player. <laughs> After one month, there was virtually complete regeneration, and the remaining defects were transplanted on, uh, where they existed on the patient's flanks, uh, his thorax, and uh, hands and shoulders. So. Around 80% of this patient's total body surface area was restored. And 21 months after, even under mechanical stress, they showed it had healed normally, not forming any blisters. When the patient came in, it wasn't looking good. I mean, Uh it it was very likely to be a mortal event Mm -hmm. until this uh, compassionate treatment was approved. What's the time frame to build the skin suit? Uh, They actually did it uh, pretty quickly. I mean, it it was so uh, the patient came in in June of 2015 and they were able to treat him in October and November. So, you know, whilst That's that less might than seem six like, months, yeah. It was, uh, it's pretty impressive. And I think uh, part, a lot of that time would have been uh, the back and forth with the review of them being allowed to do this in the first place. Um, yeah. Because this had never been done before. Well, I guess, like you were calling it a walking experiment, like it's... It's a it's, literal walking experience. So there was just yeah. such dire need that they were able to, to get the go-ahead yeah. to try something that hadn't been tried. Ex- and exactly. that's why you were calling it a compassionate experiment? Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, typically with clinical trials, yeah. people who there's no hope for them, there's more leeway. It's to a them. child too, right? How old did they say? Seven, Seven years old. Oh, my yeah. God. That's awful. And this was in Germany? This was in Germany. Yeah. Uh, so the patient was discharged in t- uh, February of 2016. So only two, three months after, the, uh, after this treatment healed enough to be discharged. Uh, so the biopsies that they took from the uh, skin itself, the healed skin, uh, only showed transduced cells. So the only cells in the healed skin were not from, you know, uh, what was already there. Why are you laughing? A hunter's making faces. Okay. Okay. And <laughs> I felt like I just chastised you like a, like a school child. We're, we're, Hunter and I have a really good relationship. <laughs> yep. 
so, so the the biopsies only showed the transduced cells. Yes. So that's only from the uh, you know from from the source of the treatment. Uh, they had normal levels of laminin three three two, that protein, that heterotrimeric protein. Yeah, yeah. Not C two though. The the skin showed normal thickness and continuity, and there was no evidence of the immune system reacting against those cells. And that's part of the reason from doing it from a patient's own cells is that really reduces the chance that your immune system. Which is why I was asking about the, the whether or not it was autograft or if it was. So uh, I work in the medical field. Interestingly, I already heard you say proteins. Was, yeah, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> so this 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 principle has been used in burn patients for decades mm-hmm. uh, to treat burn victims with up to ninety eight percent of body area injury. Uh, but this is the first time it was done where you're introducing like a introducing another gene. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's actually probably more potential to treat these ep- epidemolysis bullosa patients because uh, they still have an intact dermis underneath. Whereas in burn patients, you've often destroyed not just the epidermis but the dermis. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, there's a greater chance that with this treatment you'll be able to get full recovery. Uh, is there an animal that grows skin really quickly that we could splice a little extra DNA in through? Uh, that would be a terrible idea. <laughs> but mm. well, you do uh, I've seen some pigs. movies that say otherwise, but okay. Pigs. You can do xenogross with pigs. Then and maybe you can it would get pink skin from strawberries. If it was like a zebra, Excuse would you me, get strawberries? Trips? Then maybe I'm wrong. Sorry, Narash. I know. I'm just speculating, but... They use pigs for a lot of um, human trans- analogs. Transplants yeah. and stuff. So you can do xenografts with pigs and so it would be feasible. Also, uh, penis enlargements use pig skin. Right. We brought it around. He says I, with authority. Uh, not only not only did we bring it around, we got Mark to say it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> he gave up. <laughs> I gave gave in. Gave the look up. On, just to let everyone know, the look on Mark's face is just <laughs> Pure defeated Resi- resignation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, they with these biopsies, they looked for integrations of this virus. Remember, mm-hmm. the virus is an integrating virus. They found in the pre-graft cultures twenty-seven over twenty-seven thousand integration sites in the genome. Mm-hmm. Uh, they detected in the range of hundreds, uh, four hundred, two hundred, four hundred from different biopsies uh, that they did four and eight months post. Uh, the, tra- the treatment. Uh, they found a variety of different regions that they were present in. Uh, but basically what they found is that um, there was a, a certain cell type that was providing all of the um, all of the skin cells. So there were these three types of cells. Uh, holoclones, meroclones, and paraclones. Holoclones are the most, holoclones are the most primitive, most stem cell-like. Uh, you could call them, they could be called stem cells, most stem cell-like. Uh, Meroclones have proliferative potential, but uh, they're more short-lived and paraclones, more short-lived still. So the, the graft at the beginning was a combination of all of those. And uh, when they when you look at the beginning, you have all these different integration sites and you, you see um, that from the, these meroclones and paraclones, Paraclones, around 90% of the integration uh, sites don't have the same integrations as those holoclones, those 
most primitive cells. But when you wait, look four months post-infection, that drops to 37%, basically suggesting that uh, the holoclones are the source of these other cells. So the, it's these holoclones that are continuing to provide the skin uh, at a later stage. The, and the, that have been the, ones, the ones that have been transplanted and are providing the skin cells. And those are the ones that are the closest to, to, to stem cells. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so those uh, that provides some like evidence that in humans that mericlones and paraclones don't self-renew. Uh, so the different forms of uh, epidermolysis bullosis uh, you know, affects maybe half a million people worldwide. This won't be uh, applicable to a lot of them, uh, and but the, but the technology will be. You can apply the gene defects in theory to the other severe forms. Uh, you could pr- you could apply the different transgene mm-hmm. and apply the principle. Uh, but because of the amount that it costs to you know treat a pa- patient, even just with bandaging, a one-time treatment will really significantly you know change the not just change the life of this patient, these patients, but make it far more efficient. So uh, with some of the uh, with some of the other variants, maybe it will be something different uh, that you'd have to do. So uh, for the simplex version, it's not caused by a missing protein; it's caused by mutations that produce a dysfunction or an act. Uh, overactive protein so you might want to gene edit those cells versus add a gene but the principle could be the same and it could be applied across so that is the study okay uh now hopefully you guys have taken in a fair amount because i want you guys to explain that back to myself and niraj right now all right got it all right how would how did which one of us do we want to start how do we want to start i don't care Lead. All right. Lead. So, okay, so we start with the there's a disease called epidermal bellilagosi. <laughs> um classic Hollywood reference. Right. Love it. Um and uh it is uh it's a genetic disease uh that causes the outer part of the skin to mm-hmm. uh to deteriorate and not not grow back. Correct. Or to form blisters and, 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 yeah, and lesions. Um, and then uh, what they've done is uh, they've, uh, they've developed a treatment using stem cells. Science. Science. Uh, uh, to, uh, they take uh, uh, a graft of healthy skin or, or relatively healthy skin from the, the patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, they culture that using a retrovirus uh, to with the correct with the right proteins uh, that they're missing to try to uh, uh, add those proteins back in. Mm-hmm. Uh, then using those stem cells that they uh, culture from that, they then use that to uh, grow on a uh, a fibrous sheet of structure that they use a protein sheet i think uh they grow new skin that then they can then graft onto the or place onto the the uh the patient uh that then uh continues to grow and the patient doesn't reject it Mm -hmm. Uh, 
and it continues to grow in it. And that's the they use the uh, it uh, they found that it uh, it uses the hologram uh, cells. Uh, yeah, I thought they were all characters from uh, uh, Doctor Who. Yes, um, and Doctor Seuss. Because uh, you've, yes. you've you've mostly got it. I'm yeah, let yeah. Clark jump in here yeah. with anything else he has. Yeah, that's it. Well, just one arm at a time. That's what. Uh, that's the way I always treat it. There are also carrots involved. <laughs> okay, it's keratin. I know, yeah. but I just wanted to say carrots. <laughs> right. And and now I just also want to call the kid like a 24 karat gold kid or something like that. There's a joke that I was going for. It's yeah, not 24 it's keratin gold. 24 keratin kid. Mm. And now I want to team him up with Jake the Snake Roberts. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I've spent- it's a tag team that just I've spent 10 seconds pretending to know who Jake the Snake Roberts is. <laughs> Let's see how long you can make that go on. Wrestling royalty. Oh, jeez. Oh, my friend, wrestling royalty. Yeah. So uh, I do ask at this stage of proceedings that each of my guests uh, regales us with a fact. So I'm going to start with uh, you, Nathan. Do you have a fact for me today? Um, sure. Uh, uh, I come from uh, the world. Uh, I, I have a degree in theater and uh, my focus was uh, lighting and sound design. Um, and uh, I'll give you a fact from the, the world of sound. Uh, when you place a subwoofer or any speaker uh, next to a hard surface. I don't know if this was my fact last time. This, this my- was your fact last time. That's why I'm, that's why I'm looking at you like this. Um, but uh, I, I didn't every, hear it, so. Okay, well, I'll give it... Uh, this is crazy. It really was my fact last time. It was time. your fact last time. Okay, well, I can't use that fact then. Um, let me... Um, there are a lot of facts that I can use, and that's the only one that has come to my, my mind. Um, let, me, let me stop Clark, do you have a fact for me today? I do. I will uh, tell you the way that uh, the style of beer, the Doppelbach, was was brought to the world. So uh, these monks that were in uh, that were in Europe, they were looking for a way to. They were German monks, and they were looking for a way where they could, uh, in, in an ascetic manner, to only drink beer during Lent. And so they developed this really strong, rich lager, lager which would eventually become Doppelbach. So they had to send this approval. This uh, this this beer off to the Pope to prove that they were doing something truly penitent. Well, what they didn't tell the Pope was that beer spoils. And along the way from Germany to Italy, it was hot and it was in the, in the summertime and, uh, and the beer spoiled and got rancid and was completely disgusting. We've already discussed some of those bad flavors that can come from, from mm. rancid hot beer. Um, so when it got to the Pope, he agreed. He said, well, yeah, if you can drink that for 30 days, you can absolutely. Yes. That will be the new, the drink that you drink during Lent. <laughs> and uh, so all they heard was, hey, the Pope said it's cool. I guess we're all right. And so uh, for, for 30 days every year, or what's the duration of Lent? 40. 40, 40 days. Even worse than 30 days. Um, so oh, so for the duration time. of Lent, all, the, all they uh, ingested uh, was Doppelbach. And so that beer got bigger and stronger so that it would suit them and they could stay alive for all that time. And uh, so there they were for, for 40 days drinking just absolutely delicious Doppelbach that the Pope had approved for uh, ascetic reasons. That's amazing. That's great. Paperly fooled. That's the way you do it. It's the best kind. And, uh, and Nathan, do you have a fact um, that you haven't told in this talk before? <laughs> Ohm's law is, uh, is based on the fact that uh, watts equals volts times amps. Thank you. Oh, yes. It is, uh, it is uh, the, the basic principle for uh, many different calculations within uh, the world of audio, uh, electronics, uh, electricity, 
and many, many, many things. So there's a, uh, there's a, uh, uh, a circle that we use uh, to calculate Ohm's law uh, all the way through so you can uh, find the, uh, uh, the value of uh, wattage, power, impedance, uh, amperage, voltage, different things if you just have uh, one or two of the, uh, the other numbers, <coughs> things like that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of the show. <laughs> I can tell you what's happening in Mark's brain. It's supposed to be a fact that you don't know, and we're actually taught that in school. So he's wondering whether to call you out on it or not. <laughs> I decided not to. Yeah. Transpiration <laughs> is the transfer of don't, water don't from... Don't you dare. Don't you... <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, the carbon cycle is <laughs> an ellipsoidal an ellipsoidal instrument. Honestly, versus Ohm's law, you'd have uh-huh. been better just t- describing who Jake the Snake was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for mm-hmm. coming and guesting uh, on it. I do, of course, give my guests the final honour of plugging what they've got going on. So I'll start with uh, you, Nathan. What have you got going on? Uh, I, I've, I've been on a few shows recently, but I don't have anything coming up uh, specifically right now. But if you please go to MemphisComedyFestival.com, you can check out and find out when our shows will be. Uh, we'll be posting our uh, headliners and uh, coming up at the end of this month, you should be able to see who our uh, featured comics will be once we've uh, made those selections. And uh, the schedule will be up uh, probably in about six weeks. And you'll still be able to, as soon as the schedule goes up, you'll be able to start buying tickets. Uh, Once again, uh, this year's festival is uh, April 4th through 7th. Uh, That's a Thursday through Sunday. Uh, It's going to be the best year ever. Uh, We've got uh, at least uh, uh, 16, 16, 17 shows uh, already planned. Uh, uh, We're going to have at least... 40 different comics. Uh, we've got an amazing headliner uh, that we'll be announcing as soon as we've got that, uh, that contract finalized. So look, look for that. MemphisComedyFestival.com. Great. And uh, Clark, what would you like to plug? Yep. Just uh, we've got our one-year anniversary party coming up. It'll be Saturday, February 16th. So come out to the brewery. Enjoy that. Uh, ask for our name. Uh, ask for our beer by name. Around town, everywhere you go. Crosstown Brewing Company, Traffic or Siren. Traffic uh, IPA, Siren Blondale. Perfect. All right. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you to our guests for keeping it foolish. And uh, g- good night. Put your shoes back on. Dr. Heckle is an OAM Network production, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and theoamnetwork.com. Recorded at the Crosstown Concourse in Memphis, Tennessee. Your host was Mark Brimble. Guests were Clark Ortkees and Nathan Hiller. Music by Kip Yulhorn. The show is produced by Mark Brimble, Hunter Sandland, and Gil Worth. Special thanks to Lauren Riggins and the Surf Memphis Podcast. Find us on our Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Or if you have any questions, comments, or would like to get in touch about appearing on the show, or topics you'd like us to cover, email us at drhecklepod at gmail.com. Theoamnetwork.com. Power to the podcast.